Thanks to Audible for supporting Motley Fool Answers. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. We've got a special guest in the studio again today. It's Christine Hargis. She's from Industry Focus, our other Motley Fool podcast. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So she's here because she's going to help us do a deep dive into biotech stocks, how to invest in them, the stocks to watch, and more. All that and more <laughs> this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. Whatever, it's fine. Go with it. It's time for Answers Answers. And today's question comes from Chris, our favorite dairy farmer in Minnesota. I think you like Chris's questions because you've answered his questions before. I have, and I don't like. I, it didn't occur to me as I was choosing this one until I had sent it your way that it was. Oh, it was that Chris, but he's got good questions. What can I say? The cow's bringing it out in you, I guess. Here you go. Chris writes: Is there any logic behind diversifying brokerages? I purchase stocks, ETFs, and mutual funds through a single brokerage. What would happen if that brokerage would fail? I do like the consolidation factor with a single brokerage, but am I missing something? Well, Chris, first of all, I agree with you that there's a benefit in keeping a lot of your money with one brokerage. You only get one set of statements. Tax time is easier. Also, if you increase the more assets you have with one firm, that makes you more eligible for maybe discounts, no annual account fees. Some will, if you have a certain amount with a brokerage, they'll allow you maybe access to a CFP or a financial plan. So I think that makes sense. But you also have a good question in terms of what would happen if the brokerage failed. Well, in Woodstep, the SIPC, which stands for the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. A lot of people think of it as sort of like the FDIC for your brokerage. Like the FDIC, the insurance is not paid for by taxpayers, but by the member firms. Just about every brokerage is required to have it. Um, what happens is, if the brokerage fails, goes bankrupt, or if there is some outright fraud, the SIPC will come in, First of all, get the stuff that's still there, so any of the stocks and bonds that you owned, move them to another brokerage firm. If for some reason something is missing, they will step in and replace it up to $500,000, $250,000 worth could be in cash. Have they what do they do this often? They don't do like, it that I... often. They haven't done it in the last few years. The big things that they've handled the last few years are Lehman Brothers, for example. And every one of the account holders at Lehman Brothers got the contents of their accounts back. The other big one they've been dealing with is Bernie Madoff. Mm. And there's actually been some controversy there because SIPC only has about $2.5 billion in reserves, which is not a lot of money when you think of all the hundreds of billions of dollars in brokerage accounts. So there was some controversy about whether it is funded enough for that situation. Of course, that was a problematic situation because there really weren't the the whole value of the investment wasn't based on what your Apple stock did or your Disney stock did. You were just trusting that Bernie Madoff was saying that you have an account worth a million dollars and you just okay, okay, that's fine. For the average person with an average brokerage account, SIPIC I think is fine, especially since most brokerage firms also have supplementary insurance on top of that, oh, okay. most often from Lloyds of London. So you can go to your broker's website and look up how much your account is insured. 
in the 40-something year history of SIPC, there's only been about 350 people who are not completely made whole by the insurance. And most of those folks, it was happened in the 70s when the account limits were lower. I will say that the insurance just covers stocks, bonds, cash, typical securities like that. Doesn't cover annuities, doesn't cover futures contracts, doesn't cover gold coins or anything like that. So you do have to make keep that in mind. But for most people, having one all of your money with one brokerage account is pretty okay. I personally would think that once I got to above that limit, like if I had five hundred thousand dollars more of the brokerage, I might consider going to another brokerage. If for no other reason than different brokerages have different services, different access, different types of research and things like that, I I might value having those other services, like investment, like drips, right? And yeah, things like that. But for the most part, I think having most of your money with one brokerage is perfectly okay. You enjoy listening to podcasts, I assume. I mean, you're listening to one right now. So chances are you'll also enjoy listening to audiobooks. So why not give Audible a try? For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Just go to audible.com slash fool and browse their unmatched selection of audio content, including bros favorites, Millionaire Next Door, and Stocks for the Long Run. The place to go is audible.com slash fool. And thanks to Audible for supporting our show. So the Motley Fool has a lot of podcasts. Well, like five. Five. There's Motley Fool Money, Motley Fool Answers, Market Foolery, Rule Breaker Investing, and Industry Focus. Focus. So we thought it would be fun to once a month invite someone over from Industry Focus to talk about their industry and how best to invest in it. So the first one who volunteered, Christine Harges, and she covers healthcare. Healthcare. Yep, healthcare more broadly, and we are going to talk about biotech because why not just dive in headfirst? Yeah, <laughs> we could have gone with something easy like consumer goods or tech, but no. Motley Fool answers, listeners, you are ready for this. So buckle, buckle up because we're going to go deep into biotech. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Now, first off, though, let's uh, have our listeners get to know you a little bit. Christine, how did you come to the Motley Fool, and how did you become an expert in biotech? So I've been at The Motley Fool for about three years. I actually started here as an intern in business intelligence, which is so far removed from what oh, I'm currently yeah. doing. But So I did that for a little while, and I loved The Fool and all of you wonderful people here. I had so much fun during the internship, and I didn't want to leave. But I knew I was not really suited to be a BI analyst. Mm-hmm. So I was like, where might I be able to slide in and stay in this wonderful place? And so I ended up on our Fool.com editorial team covering financials and healthcare. I'm not really sure why those were the two that were thrown my way. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that was just where the need was. So I pretty much learned both of those industries from scratch when I started here and loved healthcare, found banks incredibly boring, and fortunately <laughs> had the flexibility to pawn off the financial sector on another intern who became a full-time hire, Gabby LaPera, who now hosts the financials industry focus. Mm-hmm. And now I just get to focus on healthcare, which is what I love. That's interesting that this is what you love. I do. I I. I'm excited to have you come here and share the love of investing in biotech. <laughs> I, I can see it on stocks. your face. No, I'm not skeptical at all. So we're just going to go for it then. We're saving people's lives. It's it's an incredibly fascinating industry. Actually, probably out of all of the healthcare 
subsectors, biotech is probably the sexiest, right? Like, what is oh, what time. is bio? What what does it mean to be a biotech stock? So, biotech stocks are the ones that are making the drugs, and you can actually differentiate them from pharmaceutical companies based on the science of how they make the drugs. So, pharmaceutical companies make pretty basic drugs. They're they're called small molecule drugs. Biotech makes like living organism type drugs. Um, like they are made within actual like biological components, and so those are your um, your biotech drugs that are in development. And a lot of people will just kind of assume that the whole biopharma world is one amorphous thing, which is kind of true. But technically, a biotech works in making biologics. Biologics and yes. biologics. I'm going to need you to explain that to me. A biologic then is different from a regular old drug. In that it is—it's a lot bigger. It's as a, a molecule. Like okay. when you look at the the chemical makeup of it, uh, it's a lot harder to produce. It's basically the method in which you make it is extremely important, and it's very hard to duplicate. And that's really all you need to know. Like, I'm not a scientist. I am not going to even try to explain how you make these drugs. Mm-hmm. But the things that you need to know is that they are very complex. It's all about the process, and they're hard to duplicate. All right. So, why should our listeners consider having biotech in their portfolio? So, I just think it's fun. <laughs> so, that's that's reason number Wee! 1 is that when you start to learn this stuff, it's so cool. It's such a fun industry. It's really interesting to watch, you know, the the IBB, which is the ETF that tracks the industry, goes up and down and up and down, but if you look at the long-term trend, it goes up a lot. If you look over the past 5 years, the IBB is up 140% and you can compare that to the S&P 500, which is up 68%. Mm. So, there's another really good reason to have this in your portfolio because you can generate a lot of returns using biotechs. Back when I first got into the financial services industry, and this is back in the late 90s, the big theme was invest to benefit from the aging of the baby boomers. Mm. Is that a big part of this as well? Absolutely. And that is true for the entire healthcare sector, you know, biotech and beyond. There are more people that are living to longer ages, to older ages. And with that, there's more chronic diseases that need to be treated for longer. Um, you just have this demographic tailwind providing a boost for the entire industry. Got it. What are some names that are? I don't know if are there household names or what? What are some of the bigger um, names in biotech? Johnson and Johnson is a household. Oh yeah, name. I have heard of that. Yeah, yes. and, and they're <laughs> they are not really a biotech. Like they do some biologic drug development, but they also do band aids and stuff like that. But as far as the biotech uh, index goes, the IBB, the biggest components are Amgen, Celgene, Biogen, Gilead Sciences, and Regeneron. So I don't know. You tell me. Are those, those household names? Those sound like <laughs> They sound like companies from like a Terminator movie. Well, they sound like they're science fiction, science Science fiction villains. Yeah, like there's something about them where they sound they sound just kind of a little Mm -hmm. evil and but from the future. (laughs) And you know, I think some people do have the perception that these companies are a little bit evil. Why? Why do you think that is? Because they charge such high prices. You know, for drugs. Yeah, there's such a stigma about like. You've got this miracle hepatitis C cure. I'm looking at you, Gilead Sciences, and you're charging this much money for it. That's absurd. Uh, you know, I I am more on the side of the industry here, but I think I'm also totally biased just because of what I do. But um, I tend to believe that they do need to be compensated and have that incentive to continue their development of drugs because otherwise, who's going to find that miraculous cure? Right, right. Uh, so then, is it is the industry like Celgene in these companies? Well, Johnson and Johnson, so they're huge, and I guess some some subsection of them deals in 
biotechs, but then companies like Celgene, like that's all they do is they focus on them. And then do they have like one or two drugs that are huge or do they have hundreds of drugs that are like little or how? Yeah, it's somewhere in between. Um, So Celgene has like four or five main big drugs. They also have a much, much bigger pipeline because most drugs that you try to develop and bring to market are going to fail. So most companies will always have a lot more that aren't approved yet and Mm -hmm. a, a handful, maybe between five and 10, yeah, yeah, more than that, up to 20, um, really profit-driving drugs. Well, we brought you here to help us invest like a fool in biotech. So let's start off with your first piece of advice. If someone wants to look into biotech, what should they know? So this is one that is applicable all across any industry, but I think it's especially true in biotech, which is take out your emotions to the extent that you can Do not get your stomach all tied up in a knot. And actually, if you're somebody that can't avoid having that sort of emotional reaction, this is probably not the industry for you. I mean, you get stocks soaring on news from a super early development trial. You get stocks totally cratering because they can't market their drugs. It's an extremely volatile industry. And the only way to really make a profit in a foolish way is to long-term buy and hold these companies. And is this like when you talk about buying and holding these companies, are you talking like the index, like the IBB, or like a basket of stuff? Like, do you get a bunch to kind of diversify your risk? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what type of investor you are. If you want the least amount of risk while still exposing yourself to this industry, then the IBB is a great way to go. You can also go for one of the bigger, more established players. Or if you're enticed by these, uh, potential huge returns, then you can buy just a handful of the ones that you think look the most promising and kind of cross your fingers and keep following them. And I know it's a risky industry and you have to understand that, but it also can offer some really phenomenal returns if you choose wisely. Yeah, that's the whole thing about risk and returns. <laughs> yeah, that pesky risk again. Ah, that really doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, what's your next piece of advice for? investing in biotechs. All right, so the next one that I have for you is follow the big money. And what I mean by that is that you probably, maybe, demographically speaking, are not a biochemistry PhD. So it might be kind of hard to look at what's going on with these drugs and know that it's super promising. But what you can do is take a cue from other industry experts. Namely, if you look at a small biotech's partnerships with bigger ones, Who's getting money? You know, for example, if you look at say Ionis, Ionis has a. I know it's it's a weird name. You're, you're looking at me like what? <laughs> it's fine. They're all just like a you bunch of what? syllables they're, smashed well, together. Their, so. their name actually used to be Isis, and they had to change it. Oh yeah, yeah went from Isis Pharmaceuticals to Ionis. Did the Greek god sue them? What happened? Um, you know, bad PR, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Ionis, they are a relatively small biotech. I want to say market cap is like five billion or so, and they have a ton of drugs that they're developing. So how do you know? if this is a good platform or not, and they do have a very unique platform that you're using. Well, they've got partnerships galore. They have one with Biogen, which is one of the big guys that I mentioned when I was listing key components of the IBB. And so Biogen and Ionis were able to bring the first treatment for spinal muscular atrophy to market. And Biogen paid Ionis a ton of money, basically, to say, hey, we think that this drug has a lot of promise. We want to continue giving you money as it develops. And then also, we'll give you a royalty on the sales eventually. And so for me, I look at that and I say, hey, there's some really smart people at Biogen that like what they see at Ionis. That's a good sign. So then you're thinking, invest in Ionis, not necessarily Biogen? Or do you invest in both? 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're looking to do. Biogen is a more diversified, larger biotech. But if you are trying to figure out whether a relatively up-and-coming company has promise or not, it, this is one great way that you can get some insider info. All right, and what's your final piece of advice for people looking to invest in biotech? It, my final thing that you need to keep an eye on when you're looking at biotech is cash burn. So a lot of these companies are pre-market. They haven't actually gotten anything approved yet, but they are spending money galore. They are just leaking millions and millions of dollars trying to develop these drugs. And so it's really important that you actually pull up the balance sheet. You look at how much cash do they have, how quickly are they spending it, and you can do some pretty rough math to figure out a cash runway. How long until they can't even keep the lights on? And so that is something that when you're looking at biotech is important with just about every company, but especially the the pre-market ones. All right, before we finish up here, what is a trend to watch in biotech right now? So one trend that I think is worth keeping an eye on is called biosimilars. And so earlier in the show we were talking about biologic drugs and how they're super different than small molecule drugs and they're hard to duplicate. So that is where biosimilars come in. They're a relatively new thing. They're basically the generic version of biologic drugs, which previously did not have generics because it's so much about the manufacturing process that you can't trust somebody else to just go and like, well, I'm going to whip up the same chemical ingredients and here I have a, a generic version. It's completely different and it's a very, very new industry. We only have a handful of biologics that are approved in the U.S. or biosimilars that are approved in the U.S., but it will become a bigger and bigger trend, especially as these biologic drugs start to roll off patent protection. Cool. And how about a stock to watch? In biosimilars or in general? Whatever you want. Your call. In general, I'm going to go with Kara Therapeutics. This is a company that is trying to market a non-addictive opioid-related pain medication. So, I mean, you hear that opioids are this enormous problem, right? Yeah. So, what Kara Therapeutics is doing is trying to make a painkiller that works, but that doesn't have the the feel-good aspects of other opioid medications, so that you don't get addicted to it. And they're having a lot of success so far. The stock is up 114% wow. just since the beginning of this year. Wow. Yeah. So people are definitely catching on. There's a lot of buzz around this company. So I'm, I'm definitely keeping my eye on them as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for helping us break down the industry. Do you want to stick around and um, have some fun with drug names? Let's do it. Let's have some fun with drugs. Now, let me get this straight. You put the lime in the coconut, you drank them both up. Put the lime in the coconut, you drank them both up. Lime and coconut. So one of the funnest aspects of talking about biotech is trying to pronounce the drug names. And so this is probably my least favorite part of the podcast, actually, because half the time I don't know how to pronounce them. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little fun. You're going to give us some drug names, and we have to try and pronounce them correctly. And then you're going to tell us more about them. Okay, I will spell them out for okay. you. All right, here's number one: A L I R. O-C-U-M-A-B. Well, I love that it has Alla in the front of it, because it makes me think of you. It's a biosimilar, maybe. So we'll go with Allerocumab. Allerocumab. That's fine. Allerocumab. Okay, I'm going to go with, I'm going to try and put the emphasis on a different syllable. Allerocumab. Okay, I'll take it. I mean, those are, those you are don't pretty know. good. <laughs> Here's how I would say it, which is alirocumab, which is basically what you guys said. And so this is actually the uh, the chemical name for praluent, which is this new type of cholesterol-lowering medication. Kind of a big deal drug as far as drugs go. Alirocumab. What the heck? Okay. Alirocumab. Alirocumab. It's, 
It doesn't even come close to rolling off the tongue. No, it does not. <laughs> okay. All right. Ready for the next yep. one? Number two is, I almost just said it out loud. <laughs> I'm going to spell it now. N-I-R-A-P-A-R-I-B. Narapa-rib. <laughs> Nairapa, Nairaparib. <laughs> Allison actually got a pretty pretty spot on. Yeah. Narapa-rib. Narapa-rib. And this one actually had a, a fun little... That's a kid's TV show. That's not a drug. <laughs> I was able to find the pronunciation on the internet, which oh, is super helpful. On the internet. So I can actually confirm that that's uh, what that one is. And we actually were just talking about this drug on Industry Focus uh, on last Wednesday. Um, but fortunately, it now is approved, so it has a brand name, which is Zedula, which I think <laughs> is a little bit easier to pronounce than Narapa-rib. That is an alien race. <laughs> Which is eventually going to exterminate us all. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never seen so many Zs and Js and Xs until working yeah. in biotech. Wow. Okay. All right. Niraparib, also known as Zbuzzaba. So, number three. Number three. N U S I N E R S E N. Nusinerson. N. The first few letters are silent. I go with Nusenerson with this one. Nusenerson. Swedish. Um, and so this is actually the drug that I was talking about earlier on the show when I was talking about Biogen and Ionis, the SMA drug, is this one, Nusenerson. Which, fun fact about it, it costs $750,000 for the first year of treatment. What? And you have to take this drug for your entire life. So after that first year, it costs $375,000 annually. Oh, Holy shit. And that's wow. why people hate drug makers. Wow, that's insane. The yeah. thing is, like, I understand the whole, like, it costs a lot of money to do these things. Most drugs don't make it. Um, there has to be the economic incentive. It's the when you start seeing the executive compensation that you lose sympathy for the companies. Yep, I get that. Yeah. yeah. All right, you have one more for us? Yes. Number four, A T O R V A S T. A T I N. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, it's a statin drug. It's Ator Atorva statin. A Ator statin. Yeah, it's a Torva statin, and this is so you you correctly identify that it is a statin. This is actually the generic name for Lipitor, which is oh. the best selling drug of all time. Oh. So there actually really? is like it's not like they just did smash syllables together. There actually is <laughs> There's like a, a code little here, bit right? of of reason to it. So uh, for example, the first one, uh, Alirocumab, that ends in M A B. That means it's a monoclonal antibody. That's of course what that it does. Of course it does. <laughs> Duh. So there's there's a little bit of a science, kind of. And what about the X? Because there are a lot of X's in these things. If I had to guess, I, I think it's... So you don't really get the X's in the chemical name. You get it in the brand name. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so that you can differentiate the drugs better because you don't want a doctor accidentally writing the wrong prescription or you don't want the person that fills the prescription to accidentally read the wrong name. I feel like an X is a very hard sound and it mm-hmm. makes a word sound different than any other related word. Right. I just thought it had something to do with it. If prescriptions RX, doesn't that mean something? (laughs) Your answer is so much simpler. Let's go with that. (laughs) But I don't know what that means. People in these companies all hated Scrabble. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to get the most points. Yeah. (laughs) These would be fantastic Scrabble words. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Should we talk about some fun? All right. Before you go, 
Leave us with your favorite. This is this is something near and dear to Bro's heart. He loves weird side effects. Apparently, I didn't. I didn't. I just learned this about him when we were plan- in the planning meeting for this. So, what's your favorite drug side effect? <laughs> <laughs> so, I think my absolute favorite drug side effect that I've ever heard of is loss of fingerprints. How? <laughs> How does that happen? Does it like not rubbing off, I assume? I I have no idea. I don't think it like leaves a mark somewhere. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it has to do with your fingers bloating for some like water retention issues. Wow. Yeah, super weird. Oh, I have a second favorite one too. Okay. Yeah, no, bring it. Which is you might become a compulsive gambler. What is that? Oh, what is? I think this is a restless leg syndrome it's, drug. It's Mirapex. What? I have it right here because also <laughs> increased gambling, sexual or, or other overpowering urges and hallucinations may occur. So you oh, may be at a party wow. and you may be hallucinating that this person is attracted to you and then bad things happen. It's uh, very bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to wonder if that's related to the gambling. Like, are you hallucinating that you're winning a it ton could, and that's why you keep be. doing it? It could be. Oh, wow. By the way, I just looked up, thanks to Google, why Rx is part of prescriptions. It represents the Latin imperative verb recipe, which means take or take thou. Just oh, there you go. fun? Yeah. Look at all the fun things people are learning. <laughs> all right, so if you, our listeners, enjoyed learning about biotech, guess what? There's so much more to learn. And so you should start listening to Industry Focus, which it takes, um, it's a Motley Fool podcast, and it takes a different sector every day of the week and breaks it down. And biotech slash healthcare is on... Wednesday. Wednesday. You can also listen to the other days of the weeks, but if you yeah, want, they're okay. They're okay. They're fine. <laughs> if you want more Christine and learning more about healthcare stocks, uh, I highly recommend subscribing to Industry Focus and paying close attention on Wednesdays. Christine, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Okay, that's the show. I want to thank Brad from Kentucky who sent us a postcard from his trip to Ireland. I love it. Oh, nice. The cards keep coming, even though I stopped asking for them. But spoiler, I will start asking for them again come summer. So. Just know that because the postcards make me insanely happy. And I want to know where you guys vacation because you guys vacation in really cool places. All right. The show is edited biosimilarly by Rick Engdahl. Our With email, no bad side effects. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.